Journey. Her next birthday will be when I'm 94. I was a psychiatrist, and that's all I know. I come from a family that was very large. My parents, uh, well, my my father was came from a family of nine children, six women and three men. It was a lot of uh, a lot of family. <laughs> and my mother, on the other hand, came from a smaller family, but a famous family. I had twenty-two first cousins. When you have that that kind of family situation, there's always some something happening in your yeah. family. <laughs> With, um, and, you know, with a lot of mostly good stuff, very complicated, and all, but we always expected that there would be some member of the family that we could be with or in one way or another. Either they could take care of us or we could take care of them or we wouldn't meet them, we would, you know, that kind of stuff. Does, does that kind of built-in security help you? With resiliency? Oh, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. I always knew that, that in most of my family, that there was always going to be somebody to talk to or help me or somebody who was going to expect me to be with them and so forth. I'm Audrey Blakeman. I am 64 years old. Hesitate to say I'll be 65 on my next birthday. Joe is always optimistic about that. Um, and I was born and raised in Pittsburgh. And um, I have two kids. And I work as a rabbi's assistant. I've done many jobs. It's really amazing to people to share their life stories and and one thing that amazes me is that children always pick up little things that stay with them for the rest of their lives and I still remember being told to let the dust settle before I can do anything and that statement helped me through a lot of things that I went mm -hmm. through in my life and how, how do you handle yourself in times of crisis? I think for me, having the family that I grew up with, uh, which was so large and uh, so able to uh, find ways to do things and succeed and so forth, was really a plus. You know, there was always, there was, I always knew that there was somebody who could tell me something or somebody who would, who would uh, come to me and say, hey, how do I do this or uh, why did you uh, not answer my phone call? I think we both handle ourselves similarly. We found that out. Yeah. We, in time of crisis, we lived in the moment and, and used our, our minds and our senses to get us through whatever was happening and yeah, I think get everybody through it to the extent we could.
Yeah, there have been times when I've been isolated in one way or another, but I think it's not as as it's less important than the thing that I know from some people that I've met over the years who just seem to be alone or unable and, uh, to to keep any uh, anything going in their lives. And, uh, with people like that, even even with psychoanalysis, where I was having a patient, my patient would come every day, five days a week for years. And some of them just cannot get beyond the the, uh, the feeling that they that they're alone and they have to make their own lives. And easier to live as a part of a society, yeah, yeah, a community, yeah, yeah. Uh, many communities. Yeah. I, I still advocate for many communities for each person. You know, some people only identify with their neighborhood or their religious group or or their club that they belong to. But it's much better to have, I think, many different groups. And hopefully you get them all together before your funeral. Hopefully they don't all meet at your funeral and say, ah, you what a nice person you are. Yeah. More of a world view of things. Mostly when people go through crisis, there's always somebody in your life that is the first person that comes to your mind because yeah. they give you strength and courage. Do you have anybody in your life that when you get into crisis, you feel like this is the person I will call because they will uplift me? My son is a, is a is a big example of that. He's great about uh, Wait, you wouldn't call me first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew him before I knew him. <laughs> and, uh, I'm a lot closer. I know you're a lot closer. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the, what I'm saying is that uh, it's always, you know, all through my life, there have been people in my life that uh, that I can be with, talk to, learn from, uh, help, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's the way my life has been. And well, after the shooting, they all crowded around you. Everybody yeah. called you. Everybody talked to you. Everybody knew where you were. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean... Well, me too, for that matter. Yeah. Different people. Yeah, different people. And some of the same people. Yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes it's, it's amazing what happens. Like, after the, the, the shooting, when the, uh, we were trying to get through what had happened and uh, trying to see what we need to do for ourselves and for other people to get us back to being where we were. My favorite instance of, of how that worked was, oh, I think a couple weeks after all that happened, we were at, at uh, this, you know, what's this, what's that, what's that building we were at? I don't know what you're talking about, but when, when? After the, after, when we were... Oh, we were at the Children's Institute right after being debriefed by the FBI? Yeah. Yeah, the Children's Institute. Yeah, there was another time when there was a, a big meeting, and, and 
pyramid. And, pyramid. and it was downstairs. It was when the, the TV station was recording. Yeah. It, when the Parkland people came. Right, right, right. And oh, those of us who were uh, who were uh, who had gone through this, we were we were seated up up in the you know, you know way, up, up. way up. And after after that, I came down and I was surrounded by a group of young ladies, twelve and thirteen, twelve and thirteen years old. From the school. From the school. And I had been their teacher, and it was just the most amazing thing the way they, they reached out to me. Almost like you were Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a kind of a fan club. It was a, it was a like, like a fan club. Like everyone, they, 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 they Went around and one at a time they came and hugged and kissed me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, I still see them every once in a while. I see one of them mm -hmm. walking down the street or coming from school. You have years and years of, of kids that you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I did it for about a year. They, they would come yeah. to morning prayers. And he would be leading the prayers, and he would involve them in the service, and and so they all knew him being first thing in the morning, and, and yeah. they all knew him yeah, well was, enough. Yeah. Well, I had a moment like that after after the shooting, and after they took us for a debriefing for a long time, and. They took us to here, to where everybody was convening to find out about family members. And I first I met up with the network of therapists who had called each other, and they had a phone tree, and they all came just to be here to help people. And I knew some of them, and it was great to see that they had that phone tree. I mean. That was a wonderful thing yeah. in itself. The helpers were here. And then we walked out into the hallway and we're walking down the hall. And there I see Tim Stevens, who's with the Black Political Empowerment Project. And I, that was like the sun just burst onto the scene because that meant that there was somebody there who could understand that this, we were shot at because we were Jews. This was a hate crime. And I knew he would understand it was a hate crime and would be on top of that. And that was, and, and I got a hug too. Yeah. And, yeah. That was, that was just, that, that was the, the little piece of peace that I needed at that moment to know that it's okay, somebody's going to understand what happened. Thank you for sharing about how much being part of community and groups has helped you. I look forward to our second part where we'll hear you talk about resiliency.